Hi there, I'm Tracy, and this is the Essential Stepmom Podcast, your source of unconventional advice and inspiration for the womanly art of raising someone else's kids. Is it really an art? You bet. Nobody pops out of the womb with an instinct for step parenting. It's something you practice and get better at, like anything else. And if you found this podcast, it means you're smart enough to look for someone who's been practicing the moves for a long time to stand in your corner and coach you through it. I'll share my wins, my missteps, and my analysis of what worked for my family over the last 14 years and why it could work for you too. If you like this stuff, don't forget to subscribe. And you can get more of me at EssentialStepMom.com. If there's a weirder job than hosting a podcast and being a parenting strategist exclusively for divorced dads, I'm not sure what it is. But I'm all about weird, as you probably already know. One of the things I love most about what I do is getting to meet so many interesting individuals and from pretty much every corner of the world. I think I can honestly say I'm not the same person I was before I started to host a podcast and look for people to interview. I ran across today's guest on another podcast about a year ago, which I guess was shortly after he'd started his own podcast, which is called Divorce the First Six Months. You know how you can sometimes just tell from the sound of someone's voice that you're going to like what they have to say? It was like that. I was a fan of Peter Mastre after the first six minutes. Somehow it took a really long time for us to connect, but that's kind of perfect because we got to have a deeper and more interesting conversation now because we're both that much farther along in our respective journeys than we were back then. Peter will tell you himself why he made a podcast about the first six months, even though he's way past that by now, and he talks to both men and women who are going through divorce. My special interest is in understanding how divorce is experienced by men, because I'm pretty open about having been kind of ignorant about that at one point. I know how much it helped me to understand my own husband's journey in healing from the trauma of his divorce. And it's not too strong a word to call it trauma. I think Peter would probably agree. But I'll let him just speak for himself. Here he is. Thank you for doing this for us, Peter. Welcome. Thank you. I love invitations. <laughs> um, I heard you, as you know, on, um, on the podcast of the Divorce Dad Diaries. Mm-hmm. And I was, I, I just, I loved what you had to say. And I loved how, um, oh, how open you are about your emotional journey through divorce and afterwards. I, I'm curious to know why you decided to focus on the first six months for your podcast and your, your thing. I think you could thank uh, California for that. So in California, you have to stay married for six months. Oh, so even if you decide from so from the moment that you um, you serve them and you file that paperwork six months after that is when in theory, because other things can happen, you're declared um, uh, separated or divorced or whatever it is that you file. So because of that, I, I looked at my divorce in a context of six months. I looked at it like, OK, I have six months 
to figure out what I need to do, how I need to do it. And for me, I'm very structured. I'm very like, okay, I need to know when it starts and when it finishes so that I know what to do and I can plan it out. And in career life, that's just how, how my brain works. So I had that context and I, and I remember thinking myself, okay, well, I have six months, you know, and my first six months started the moment that I filed. So when I learned that piece of information from the court system, then I was like, okay, so I have six months. And then wow. I had my start date and I had my finish date. And I, I loved it. I, I loved that, that I was living inside of that box. But what happened inside of those first six months was that I discovered what was wrong, what was happening, what I can do about it, and how to go about doing something. So all of those things were inside the first six months. So for me, it was like, wow, inside of six months, I got educated and I formed a plan and I was able to come out of this, you know, healthy, strong, you know, I came out of it like I, like I share like the, as the best version of myself. So That's fantastic. I think so many, I mean, I think that so many people, myself included, are a little bit paralyzed in that time. Of like you just feel like I don't know the carpet has been pulled out from under your feet or you're not sure what your next move is or you you just feel so like emotionally shaken up that I, I know it was hard for me I I <laughs> I had my first nine months I guess you could say because from the time that I decided to get separated it took nine months for me to actually um get my ex-husband out of my house and into another place mm. uh, because he was very reluctant to move on. And so the, like the physical separation took nine months from the time that, that I said, we're done. And that was after like some months of trying, you know, uh, counseling or whatever, you know, really get it wrapping my head around whether this was really the move that I wanted to make, but so I had a, a first nine months of, of getting ready. I could have been uh, those extra three months. <laughs> that yeah, would have been great. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so talk about how you decided to start this, your, your own podcast. So with my podcast, what happened was uh, a bunch of things. So inside of my divorce, I actually stayed quiet. I didn't say anything. I had my support community and I was very active inside of my support community, but I did not, um, did not speak up. It was once my divorce was finalized that I was taking this course. Um, and inside the course, the the person that was leading it, I had a one on one with her and, and she was a close friend. She knew my ex-wife as well. And she said to me, you know, you need to be vulnerable, like you need to share something, whatever it is. And that was part of the course. It was to share something. So I went on social media and I shared something I shared that I was um, divorced. And, and I said a couple of other things, but basically when I did that, I unleashed the shame that I had around it mm. and that felt good. It felt really good. And what I noticed is people started asking me about my story. People started asking me, started showing up supportive. People weren't, um, doing what, what was the norm for me, which is like, you know, pooping. Like when you tell somebody that you're down, people start pooping on you. Yeah. And I'm like. You know, I, I just didn't think. And the weird part was it was somebody in my family that, that was doing that. They were shaming me. You know, they were laughing at the fact that, that I was getting divorced. And, 
And this is a rumor. This is what I was hearing. So what I did is I just said, you know what? I'm not going to do that. I'm going to go on social media and I'm going to, I'm going to give this a face. When I did that, not only did the other person stop, everybody started telling the other person like, oh yeah, you can just go online. He tells he, he's saying it. So I took the power away from that person and I found that to be beautiful. So I started a podcast. I work in the entertainment industry and I know how powerful stories are and I know how powerful it is when you don't write your own story. So I decided to take uh, control of my narrative and in doing so, um, you know, seeking out other people so that they can take control of their narrative. And I've had, I've had friends, I've had family, I've had strangers. I have um, had conversations with several people, yourself included. And when you share your story, no matter how many times you share it, each time you share it, you release the grip that it has on you because it's always has a grip on you. And I've shared my story, God, man, thousands of times already. And each time I share my story, I let go of a little more and a little more and a little more. Because at the end of the day, a divorce or a death, it, it means it's complete. It's over. It's done. So, you know, there's mourning. There's there's emotions. There's history. There's memories. There's a lot of things that are not just going to get erased. It's impossible. So that's what started it. That's why I continue it. And I think that's what feeds me now inside of this conversation. That's so great. And I love, I love how you talk about the stages and the pieces and that even after, you know, a thousand times sharing your story that you still feel like there's another little piece of healing that comes along with that. Um, and I loved also that you talked about the aspect of shame mm -hmm. around being divorced, because I felt that big time like that was so big for me um initially of course it really held me back from even wanting to go there or thinking that I could go there because there was a lot of shame associated with that and I think it surprises me as a woman I don't know why it should but it surprises me that that there's a lot of shame involved from the man's side of a divorce yeah which is, it's ridiculous to say that, like, why should it surprise me? But um, I think that men express themselves in such a different way than women do that um, I think a lot of us are married to guys who are holding shame yeah. around their last divorce. And, and we don't know it because it's not something that they might have ever expressed to us. I mean, it's a, it's a real thing for me. It was, um, so my ex cheated on me and never admitted it to me. And so I said that I said it out loud in, in my, uh, in my support community and to friends and family when, once I came out officially on, on social media and that's what was, that's why, why the shaming began. Mm. Shaming began around that. Like, Oh, look, they cheated on him. And and for me, I've always said that to my ex, who I haven't spoken to in, in a long time, and I wish that I could, it didn't bother me that, and I was not going to be responsible for somebody else's uh, decision. So if she decided to not choose me, if she decided not to be with me, if she decided to be with another man while she was still married to me, that's her choice. She has the right. Like I can't take that away from her because I don't own her. She wasn't a... Uh, She's not a piece of property. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So inside of that conversation, I was like, okay, well, here we are. 
This is what it is. And I accept it. So it was very easy for me to, to um, how do you say, take shame, take the conversation of shame, take the shaming and just be like, I am not, I'm not responsible for this. And for centuries, we've been responsible for it, especially yeah. as men. Yeah. As men is like, oh, if they do that to you and then you're lesser than. And I'm Latino, like my, I'm, I'm Hispanic, my family, you know, I've seen, I saw it growing up. They would poo-poo on everybody that was already getting poo-pooed on. It was just yeah. like, here's, a, here's another dump truck of, of, of shit mm -hmm. for you. And it just, that's, that's not cool. That's no. not cool. That's not empowering. And I come mm -hmm. from empowerment. You know, I was raised by a woman. I was raised by my grandmother and my mom. And they never taught me that. They taught me to love and to heal the people that are hurt and nurture them. Not to kick them in the... You know, <laughs> yeah. So. <laughs> but that's so, like, that's really so evolved, that kind of response. And, like, the knee-jerk response is, like, anger. And, like, who do you yes. think you are? Or, like, you've broken your commitment to me, and now I get to be angry at you. And it's what I teach in in a different context, you know, I, I teach how to turn those emotions around in a more like to turn them into something empowering. Like it's not what you think you can go in the same direction as, as the person who's offending you. And it takes away all their power. Like when you say, well, yes, of course you have the right to do that. Like, let's just not stay married. Yeah. That's okay with me. Like you, you have the right to, to do what you want to do. Yeah. We're a choice. It's like when you're we, in a relationship, that's a choice. It's you a choice you make every day. day. Yeah. yeah. We, every day. There's no weekends off. There's no like, you know, yeah. Hey, veterans day's coming. We don't, we don't have to choose yeah. each other. No, it's every single day when you're in a relationship, you have to choose that person. Yeah. People think, and that was one of the things and I'm, I'm pretty sure that I'm guilty of it is that you, when you're with somebody, you just assume you're like, oh, well, this is forever, yeah. you know, and then you, you take, um, maybe you relax, but you know, you communicate with your partner and you're like, Hey, you know, you're relaxing. You don't just move on or, or turn off or I don't know. For me, it's like, I, I love the vows. I think the vows are beautiful because it, it honor, it's, it's an opportunity to honor your word with another human being, but after marriage, now when I look at it and I go, hmm, I think I'd rather have partnership. Because with partnership, you're both in it together. Marriage for me now is, is it's it's almost like I, I still respect the word and I respect the, the tradition of it. But I think I want more of a spiritual marriage than I do a piece of paper and a government sanctioning it and saying, you know what, or a church. I think church, government, can take a back seat from now on. And I think heart is going to dictate what, what marriage is for me next, you know? So how will that look different? Like it will look exactly the same. It'll still look exactly the same. We'll still do the traditional walking down the aisle. We'll still, um, have the, you know, the father or whoever, um, hand off. We'll still file for taxes. We'll still do all of that things the same. I just think that, uh, that's not going to be my driving force anymore. I did the white picket fence. I did the marriage. I got to, um, I got to be a stepdad. I got, to, I got to experience all those beautiful things. And, but the rush 
the inner hurry. Here's what I don't get. And a lot of people are like um, the ultimatums, right? Like, like, are we getting married? Are we doing this? Are we doing yeah. that? That doesn't exist for me anymore. What exists now is if I have the rest of my life with you, why are you in a hurry to go into anything right now? If I have the rest of my life with you, I'm not, it's not going to change whether I put a ring on your finger or I don't put a ring on your finger, but I'm happy to do so for, you know, for the traditional sense, but that has to be born between both of us. Like I won't be bullied or, or, um, budged into it. I think partnership is something when you both look at each other and you're just like, man, we should get married. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Not like we should get married and one of them is like, oh, well, you know, if you get an oh, well, you know, oh, well, then, you know. (laughs) Well, it's for sure. I can tell you that I was very averse to getting married a second time. Um, Like when my now husband Mm -hmm. wanted us to get married, I was really scared about that. Like I I just thought that we would just stay together because we're really good together and I didn't need it. I didn't need it at all. And he was the one eventually, I mean, it took us eight years to get married after we were together, but um, he was the one who wanted it. And I was nervous, I can tell you, because, you know, it's a kind of a superstitious thing. Like I thought it was good before and it blew up. And maybe there's something about being quote unquote married that takes the, it takes away that choosing every day. That's the feeling. I think that I was afraid of is that when you get married, you are no longer engaged in choosing every day. It becomes something, it becomes an obligation that you don't get to choose again every day. And I would say that for me, what would be different in the kind of marriage that you're talking about is the nature of the agreement that you're making, you know, that you're making an agreement to speak truth to each other. to continually speak truth to each other. And that could involve admitting that you're unhappy. It could involve letting the other person know that you see your relationship devolving in some way. And it's, you, you're not, you know, you're not happy about that. It could involve being truthful about how you're like pursuing different pathways and maybe you would be happier separate but like the agreement is to speak truth to each other and not an agreement to stay together forever without something more substantial underneath it. Yeah, I would make an addendum to the vows. <laughs> I would keep the for better, or worse, or richer or poor. And I would add, and I choose to create you daily and inform you if I don't. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, because I'm like, it's this is it's, everything works like everything about it. I find it beautiful and it's amazing. But, you know, I think that somewhere along the line, it became property and not, yeah. you know, and it's like, I'm going to take the property portion out and really just let my know, my partner knows, like, you know, every day I'm going to choose you in the morning and I'm going to choose you before going to sleep and I'm going to keep you in existence and I'm going to generate for us and for you and like that part of it. Because I think that when once you get married and literally like once I got married, like the once we were filed and we were official, there was like a sense of, of, it was, of difference. It was something that was so different and I couldn't wow. explain it. And for me, after, you know, I was married for 10 months and after the second month, she was physically and emotionally distant. 
Mm. And then I was just trying to fix something that was never going to be fixed because nothing's broken. Like people are not broken. They're you can't fix people. People make choices, and you either honor them or you don't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I heard something, and I can't remember if I if we talked about this in our last conversation on your podcast, but I heard something that made a huge impression on me, probably around the time that I was getting divorced. But it's the idea that um, it is never it is never selfish to do what you want. It is selfish to ask someone else to do what you want. Yes. And when I sort of heard that it was like a lightning bolt for me like oh like I always thought that I was being selfish when I wasn't doing what someone else wanted because like it's selfish you should do what you know and when I realized that like it no 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 it's selfish to ask someone else to do what you want like that it makes so much sense for me and that's I've really been using that to guide my life. And when I feel, when I feel put upon, I realize that I am doing that thing where I'm doing what someone else wants. And that's why I feel bad. And I never have to feel bad for doing what I want. Ever. You should never have to feel bad or apologize for doing what you want. And like, I think there's a lot of people listening who are scratching their heads right now, because that's kind of a revolutionary concept. Yeah. And That's it shouldn't very be profound. very profound. It's it's insane how how many layers that cuts through. It does. And it just it makes everything so simple. That you just have to respect that. The other person gets to do what they want and they respect that you get to do what you want and you're happy doing your thing together. And of course, there are plenty of times that you, you know, compromise in mm-hmm. some way in a in a marriage but that's another piece um and that and also that that it's gonna suck like just because you choose all of that and all that's beautiful and it's great to listen to but you still have to do the work and that's where people get lost and they're like oh well you know that's great for you because you know you accept it and you allowed them to have a choice and blah 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 and it's like no 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 it sucked i had to choose every single minute that that was real, that she had a choice, that it was her right to not, to choose not to be with me even after she um, she declared herself to her vows. It doesn't matter. And people don't get that. Like people think, they still think like objects and it's weird. And I try to, every conversation that I have is like to really share that. Like even with my, with my own f- uh, family members, when I tell them like, no, she has the right, she had the right to not be inside this relationship. They're like, oh, well, I don't like her anyway. And I'm like, I do. I I get that you don't like her. And there's no reason why you shouldn't like her because she had a choice. She was happy and then she was unhappy and then she made a choice to move on. And I'm grateful that that she did that and she didn't uh, string me along for, you know, for five or ten years. So she did have a choice. We as human beings, when we are with people, we have a choice to be inside that. And it's daily. And the moment that you think that they're obligated to stay there, you've already created a wall between you and that person. There has to be freedom. There has to be choice. Yeah, always can exist. Yeah, (laughs) we don't allow for that in the institution of marriage, that people still have free will and that people can be 
unhappy for a variety of reasons. And that, you know, the, the union that you celebrated is not supposed to be like some kind of life sentence of misery, which I thought it was, by the way. Like, I remember, I remember saying like, like, a great movie title. this is, you know, the great movie title. <laughs> Starring Tracy Poison. <laughs> Life Sentence of Misery. Coming this fall. <laughs> I totally did. And it's, I, I mean, I wasn't miserable the whole time, but I, I distinctly remember being very judgmental mm-hmm. of my friends who had gotten divorced and thinking like, like, would you think you're allowed to be like, you get to be happy now. You don't get to be happy. Like you're married. This is, it is what it is. You squeeze whatever happiness you can get out of it. And that, you know, when the rock is dry, like that's your thing, you know, <laughs> I, that's really what I thought. And I was really, I was so, of course, now in retrospect, I can say I was judgmental because I was, I was sitting on my own unhappiness and I didn't want to acknowledge it at all. I refused to acknowledge that I was unhappy. Like even at the moment when I was like, like days before I had decided to leave my marriage, I was still telling my closest girlfriends who I was talking to, like, no, it's not that. I mean, my marriage is okay. Like it's something else inside me. That's whatever, you know? And like within days I was going, holy shit, this marriage is terrible. I'm, I'm miserable here. And like, Yes, this is the entire problem. There is nothing wrong with me. I'm in a terrible marriage because of this and this and this and this and this and this and because of this and this, you know, I suddenly it just all came crashing down. It's like in the in the matrix, you know, where like the wall comes down and you can see the reality of the code. And, uh, you know, I knew it suddenly. And I had even days earlier, I was completely deluding myself. So like there has to be room for having some kind of epiphany as a human being about your life and about what you need and about what you have to do, which is not selfish. It's not selfish. And my mistake was like thinking, well, once you have kids, you know, then it's selfish to break up your family because it's going to have such a profound effect on your children. And you don't get to pursue your own life, liberty and pursuit of happiness because you've, you know, you have this commitment now to your kids and like, that's baloney. Yes. It's really hard on kids, but I worked hard to make that go as, you know, as smoothly as possible for her. And so, so did her dad. Yeah. And I blame Disney. <laughs> Cause you know, you have to blame somebody. So for those of you out there that you need to latch onto something, just blame that mouse. Yeah. Blame the mouse. You're going to feel better about yourself. Blame the mouse. Like That's the another. Prince, the princesses, everybody, you know, happy endings. Yeah. That's a name for your movement. Yeah. For the Blame movement. the mouse. Blame Disney. <laughs> Blame Disney. Blame <laughs> Disney. Six years with Peter Maestri. <laughs> fantastic. But it re- really is a responsibility. And, you know, when everything, when you look at the big picture and you can step back from it, the one big takeaway for me with, with this whole process has been we generate what we want and we can create the life that we want or we can react to it. And with apologies to Peter for interrupting him here, I'm going to save the rest for next week because we're not even halfway done. Next week, 
you'll hear me share more about my journey to finding myself after my own divorce. And Peter will talk about creating your life instead of just reacting to what happens around you. I hope you'll join us for that. Before I let you go, I want to just remind you about the Discord server that I've been so graciously invited to and that you can be a part of too. It's called Visible Man. And it's the answer to a prayer for men and women who just want to have honest conversations about men's mental health. There's a private room with a guys-only community and a public room where women are welcome too. So check it out if you'd like to understand how to help a man in your life who's struggling to get past something big, whether it's divorce or parental alienation or anything else. You can get there from this link, bit.ly slash visible man discord. I'll be really glad to see you there, although I probably won't even know it's you because you don't have to show up under your own name. Anyway, you'll see me there because I'm the same me there as I am here. Once again, that's bit.ly slash visiblemandiscord. And join the conversation to give men more opportunities to open up about the big scary stuff in their lives. One more word before I sign off. This is the season when many of you are gearing up for a longer visit with your kids and or your stepkids and that means some extra pressure to come up with activities so they don't just park their bones in front of a screen for two weeks. I've got something in the pipe to help with that. Keep your eyes peeled for an announcement from me in the next week or so. I'm excited about this. Bye for now. <laughs>